Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, they dismiss you and say, oh, you're paranoid. Oh, but should that person was probably only joking. No, they didn't mean it like that. You shouldn't take it like that. You know, and that's not acceptable. You know, you don't invalidate somebody's experiences just because you don't know what it's like to feel them. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. So as you guys might know, I am currently on maternity leave and we have moved our weekly episodes of Grief Encounters to monthly episodes. And this month we have a very, very important episode that we've been wanting to do for a while. And um, in light of what's happening in our world right now, I think it's even more important. We're joined by Ashling O'Neill, who's the mother of Mia O'Neill. Mia suffered racial abuse throughout her short life and she sadly took her own life in September of 2019. Her mom, Ashling, joins us to talk about who she was as a person and the issue of race in Ireland and how difficult it made poor Mia's life. Ashling is a pretty powerful, incredible woman. I'm actually, during the interview, was quite thrown by the fact that so much of the racial abuse was actually coming from adults who mm. were teaching their kids to act in the same way. Um, as a parent, I actually found that just absolutely shocking you know even when kids have little rows with friends at school the first thing you do is how can I figure this out for them how can I help them work it out what do we do so for something of such a huge scale as that is just it's really hard to actually digest Mm -hmm. as an adult and as a parent And also the fact that they spoke to the authorities on so many occasions from the very start, asking them for help, and they didn't receive any help, really. They they put the onus on them and asked Mia to record the instances when they happened, which is, you know, as we all know, a very difficult thing. Um, Ashling talks about the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement. I think in Ireland, there's been comments about how that doesn't really affect us here, um, but it's a it's a global movement that does in fact affect us here um, because it's talking about something that um, is happening here today where um, where racism is alive and well and it definitely is things like what you're talking about Venetia there which is mm. the adults who are racially abusing children and when you think about the the, the 
how grotesque and distorted and difficult that thing that is to face. Um, it means that we have a lot of work to do here as well, um, not just uh, in America. I think when there's such huge outcry in other countries, we can tend to gloss over the fact of something that is actually very prevalent in this country as well. Mm. Uh, we can sort of go, oh, it's not terrible in the States or the UK that's happening without actually going, hey, guess what? It's happening here. And Ashling is doing this all in her beautiful daughter Mia's name. She's um, speaking out so bravely about these issues. And um, I know that from talking to her that she will um, make changes and, um, and we will remember Mia for a long time, not just because of the wonderful person she was, but because of the impact that her life will have had. Absolutely. Racism is a massive issue in Ireland today and something that we as a country are not exempt from. The past three weeks of global protest at systematic racism in my own country of America has also shown light on great changes that need to happen closer to home. Today's guest is Ashling O'Neill, whose daughter Mia sadly took her own life last September after suffering years of extreme racial abuse from people in their community. Ashling, thank you so much for joining us. I have to say, in the very early days after Mia had passed away, I, I heard about her right away. I saw her picture um, come up on my Facebook feed because people were speaking so beautifully about what a wonderful girl she was and how sadly she was missed. And her presence and her spirit reached far and wide almost immediately. I just wanted to say how sorry I am that she's gone. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. Of course. Just to start out, tell us about who she was. Um, we'd love to know about who she was from your perspective. She was a typical teenager. You know, I wasn't very cool, but we were the best of friends. We had a great bond. She wasn't just my daughter. She was like my best friend, my sister, my everything. Um, she was my first child. I doted on her from the moment she was born. She was so incredibly beautiful. I remember when I had her, I literally, it was like an hallelujah moment um, when they handed her to me in the hospital. Mm. She was just absolutely radiant and so, so beautiful. And I just remember looking at her and thinking, wow, like this beautiful thing is mine. And yeah. it was an instant, an instant connection, an instant unconditional love that I had never felt before. And she didn't disappoint. She was a beautiful child, very quiet and polite and, and, and kind and gentle. And she always smiled. That was just the main thing that, about her that people would notice. Um, from the moment she was born, she just always had a smile on her face. She was constantly smiling. Mm. And any time you'd meet, meet her or see her, she was always smiling. And she always wanted to have a joke and a laugh. And it was all about fun and entertaining people. She was a big character. Um, you know, she used to do impressions um, and, you know, impressions of people. And, and she just had this aura about her. Whenever she walked into a room, like you would take notice of her. She commanded a room when she walked into it. And mm. um, it's kind of indescribable to me. She just, this energy about her that you automatically felt happiness when you were around her. Underneath that big bubbly personality, what we know now is she was suffering. Well, the racial abuse started when she was four. Yeah, she wow. was four years of age. And I had, um, I had pulled up um, outside my parents' house. There were some uh, mixed race children that lived beside my parents. And they were being racially abused by the same individuals who then would 
ultimately turn around on Mia and, and begin to racially abuse her. And were these um, kids the same age or were they older? No, they were older. They were older okay. children, but not much older, still children. They're like, I think the oldest would have been around 12 down, you know, and there were, there were five children in that family and they, they were suffering racial abuse from this individual. And I pulled up in the car to bring Mia into my parents and, and heard this racial abuse going on. And I have a long history with racism. Um, we moved from County Kevin when I was four. We moved to the UK. And I remember being bullied um, because I was Irish. I remember mm. being told that I was a terrorist, that my parents were part of the IRA, just being taunted all the time um, by people while we were living over there. And when we moved back, we moved back to Ireland as well when I was around 12 or 13 and I experienced bullying then because I had developed an English accent and people presumed I was English and bullied me for that fact. And I always had a deep connection with minorities because I felt as if I was a minority when I was living in the UK and I witnessed racial incidences over there as a child and growing up. Um, not only to myself, but to people in the black community, the Asian community, you know, and it hurt me as a child to see this going on. So I've always had this deep rooted connection with minorities and I grew up and um, I fell in love and I it was with a black man and I, the result of our love was Mia and I adored her. And um, I remember at the time people saying to me that I would probably suffer some form of racial abuse or that she would suffer mm. some form of racial abuse in her lifetime but not that I naively assumed that she wouldn't but I thought that we had moved forward in times. How did you talk to her about it Ashley? like when she was four years old you know how do you have a conversation with a child about something like that when it's a very hard concept for them when they're that small were you able to talk to her about it? Well she didn't understand it first of yeah. all um, she didn't understand why these names were being said to her or, or what it meant you know so I just had to keep reassuring her you know she wanted she came in one day I think she was around five or six and she said to me like I just want to rip my skin off oh. you know I don't and, and in the shower trying to scrub her skin white um and you know her, her hair was another thing that, that that you know random people would just walk up to her in the street or if I had her in the buggy and automatically just squeeze her hair you know, and it was very invasive. You know, mm -hmm. most people were just inquisitive and they wanted, you know, she had this beautiful head of curls and people were just inquisitive. They wanted to feel it and feel the texture of it. But it was quite invasive for her to just have random strangers come over and, yeah. and grab her hair and squeeze her hair. And, you know, you'd get comments like, oh, what an exotic looking child. Or people would automatically assume that she wasn't mine, that I'd adopted her. Mm. Or just these assumptions that people would have. And she would hear all this, you know, so it would obviously have an effect on her. When something like that is ingrained on a child that young as well, did they grow up constantly knowing it? Did you find she became more accepting of it because it was always there? No, no, no. It tormented her. Mm. You know, it tormented her very existence. You know, she was constantly trying to fit in. And I remember her saying to me at one point that she just didn't know where she belonged in life. And I said to her, I, I, don't, I don't understand. And she said, you know, I'm half black and I'm half white. So I'm not really accepted by the black community because I'm not fully black. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really accepted by the white community because I'm not really white. So she said to me, I really don't feel where I belong. 
and you know trying to reassure a teenager because that's what they want you know they yeah. want to belong they want that sense mm. of belonging they want to they don't want to stand out they want to be the same as their peers you know trying to explain to her that her individuality and the way that she looked was the most beautiful thing about her mm. was very hard to get into her brain because she had suffered this abuse for so long it, it was almost as if she literally believed it herself she believed that she wasn't worth it she believed that she was ugly she believed that you know she was different and nobody liked her mm-hmm. you know even though she had a huge circle of friends and so many people that loved her and and we would reassure her all the time um she would say to me mom it just goes in one ear and it doesn't mm-hmm. compute in my brain you know, yeah. and it just and goes out the other ear. I don't, she just couldn't process it. There was just a lot of trauma. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ashling, how did you deal with, um, if, especially if you live in a smaller community and you you know some of the people that were bullying her, or you would know you'd know their names, uh-huh. you'd probably know their families. How was that for you to kind of know these people might have lived down the road or across the street, or from the very first instant that they started racially abusing her, I went straight to the authorities. Like it is something that I was very passionate about. Something I have no tolerance for. And from the very first instant, I would have reported it. And the response that I got each, every time that I reported it was that I should ignore it. And I was doing more complaining and more complaining. Mm. The onus was put back on Mia as a child 
to have her phone out and be able to record these incidents of abuse because there was no specific evidence as such for, for the authorities to take any action, you know. So the, she started to develop anxiety then because she was constantly walking around with her phone in her hand hoping to catch these individuals when they'd say something to her. But it was very hard to catch them because they'd have it said before she'd even have her phone out of her hand, you know. And she constantly had to prove that this was happening to her that nobody was believing her, that this was happening to her, it was hurting her, it was affecting her mental health, it was affecting her life. And not only that, these were adults. Okay. And they had literally brought up their children to do the very same thing. It started with the adults, and then the children saw it. And then when they would be abusing her outside, then other children that were outside would hear it. And then they would pick it up, and then they would start calling her the names, not really knowing what they were even saying to her. Mm. You know, I just, like I'm baffled said. that adults would think that's okay because all you do in life is from the time they're little is try and teach your kids right from wrong and acceptance and empathy and I just it, it's very hard to compute that adults think that's okay to teach their kids that as a parent and as an adult when you heard what other people your own age were teaching their kids to say and do like did that how did that make you feel I mean I just feel as a parent you just be incredibly angry and just want to go and say it to them well there were times that I would have you know um, you know opened my mouth and said you know don't speak to my child like that and there were times that I got angry. Um, naturally, your your instinct as a parent is to protect your child at all costs. And your natural instinct comes into play when your child is being attacked. And I was then cautioned by the authorities um, for trying to take care of my child. They were failing me in protection of her. And any retaliation that I made against these people, I was being threatened with the law. So... I had to stay within the parameters of the law and try to do it in a way where we could get some proper protection. But unfortunately, that didn't happen and, and we lost Mia. Ashling, when you're looking at people saying that racism doesn't exist in Ireland after the death of George Floyd, there are a lot of people saying that it's not necessarily as much of an issue or as important as issue here, which stings, I think, a lot to hear. The system has failed your family dramatically. You've lost the most wonderful person, most important person to you, and nothing can ever change that. And that's something that they can never uh -huh. fix. For other families and for other people, what do you believe in terms of the system would have possibly changed things or could change things going forward? Um, I think awareness is a big thing. And, mm. and the Black Lives Matter movement is really, really important. You've seen this week that a lot of people have come out and said that racism doesn't exist in Ireland. I've given plenty of examples where it has happened to me, not only Mia, but I have two other children, um, two mixed race children, 11 year old boy and a four year old little girl. And both have experienced uh, racism in their lifetimes as well. They also saw what Mia went through as well, you know, and there just needs to be better protection there for people. We need to look at hate speech laws and make it a criminal offence for this type of behavior and maybe it will act as a deterrent and creating awareness and educating people um people seem to have this image that you know every black person that they see is a foreigner you know um mm. there are black irish people and mm. and uh, we proved that point at the black lives matter protest in limerick on saturday uh, where a young 
a black girl called Jennifer stood up and she was born here and she spoke in Gaelic. Um, mm. And half the Irish people that were standing there in front of her couldn't even understand what she was saying. You yeah. know? And, and she was trying to prove to them that, you know, just because I'm black does not mean that I'm any less Irish than you. Yeah. You know, yeah. she was born here. She, ha- she has never known her African culture. She, she's been mm. raised Irish. She is Irish, yeah. you know, and it was the same with Mia. She was Irish and people were constantly telling her, go back to your country. And she was like, but I am in my country. <laughs> this is my country. You know, I yeah. was born here. And this notion that the, the Irish are welcoming and, and a tolerant nation, and they seem to be very uneducated. A lot of people seem to be very uneducated in the direct provision centers that um, the foreigners are placed in when they come here. There seems to be this perception that they're handed everything and that they get everything for free. I would just invite people to literally walk into one of those centers mm. and, and have a look at the yeah. squalor that these people have to live in. How did you feel about Leo's statement? I thought that was a pretty brutal thing to say regarding the provision centers. Um, it's just, I mean, these direct provision centers were put in place as a temporary measure. Mm. Um, that was back in the late 90s yeah we are now 2020 and we still have people living in these conditions um you know you have full families in one room you know they're given barely anything to survive on they're they're held back from prospering um so they're constantly going to be seen uh, by the rest of society as lower class they're not given that opportunity and a lot of these people that are coming over are very educated you know, mm-hmm. very educated. Uh, they, they want to work. They're not here to abuse the system. They're not here to to take from Ireland. They're here to give something to Ireland. And Ireland could do with taking some of these people and using their skill sets and their knowledge. That there's unity in diversity, and that's what I always say. Um, we need to start being more open. And yes, I understand that people have this notion that, but we don't have a problem with racism. No, we don't have a problem with the violence of our guardie against people of color. You know, we don't have that issue that I'm aware of. And it's not as bad as it is in America, but we don't want it to get to that point, mm-hmm. you know? So we need to take time now and, and look at this issue seriously and put measures in place to stop deaths occurring. Like I've already lost my child. I have fear and anxiety for my other two children. I've also been in contact with a lot of other parents of mixed race children that also live with the same fears and anxieties and who also have praised me for being so vocal because a lot of people are silenced. You know, when you, when you speak about your, your issues and the racism and the effects that it's having on your family, people don't want to know, you know, mm-hmm. they dismiss you and say, oh, you're paranoid. Oh, but should that person was probably only joking. No, they didn't mean it like that. You shouldn't take mm-hmm. it like that. You know, and that's not acceptable. You know, you don't invalidate somebody's experiences mm. just because you don't know what it's like to feel them. Can I ask you about your other two kids? Uh, your little boy's 11 and your little girl's four. Growing up now without their big sister, how much do they know about how she died and why? Um, they were both here that day um, when I found her. Um, they didn't see anything because uh, I managed to get my youngest daughter out of the house and to a neighbor and my, my son was playing outside. Um, 
So I just said to him, don't go into the house. Um, but he, he, he understood. I had been taking Mia to doctors for, for quite a long time, you know, um, because of her mental health. And she struggled with um, outbursts and self-harming. Mm. So he was aware that she wasn't well. Mm. So um, when she died, the, the way I explained it to them was, was that Mia was sick, you know, in her mind. She had, she had an illness. And that despite the doctor's attempts and my attempts to make her better, that um, unfortunately we couldn't and that she passed away. Mm. Um, Nathan, my son, he understands that, that she did commit suicide. Um, he, he's confused. Um, he's, he's grieving and his grief, I suppose, he's got del- what I would call delayed grief. Um, mm. He'd been quite busy and active up until COVID hit and the isolation. You know, he's quite sporty. Yeah. And, you know, he had school and his friends and soccer and, you know, his basketball and his taekwondo and, you know, he had various things that were keeping him occupied. And now that he's not being as stimulated, I suppose, his grief has come to the surface a lot more in recent weeks. Mm. And um, he's struggling. Yeah. He's quite he's quite insular. He, he's a real quiet kind of young boy. He just kind of keeps everything to himself. So you kind of have to keep talking to him and, 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 and kind of pulling mm the feelings out of him as such you know he kind of mm. tends to keep everything quite bottled up but I'm working with bereavement counsellors and I'm working with his school is amazing mm. and his principal is amazing and his teacher and you know we're all on the same page and we're all working together you know to get him through this tough time and hopefully you know he will move on and he will move forward and the work that I'm doing to highlight the racism, the bullying, the mental health issues with the youths, I'm hoping that will make some sort of a difference to enable him to have a better existence. You've been doing such great work and um, I'm going to say something cliche and I'm so sorry that I'm about to say it, but it's very hard for me to imagine where you're finding your strength from because I really believe that what you've been through is the worst thing that a person can endure. How are you doing in terms of grief? It's a very hard thing when you're taking care of other kids and yeah, it's difficult. I suppose I'd lost people before, you know, I'd lost my grandparents and I lost a dear friend years ago, but nothing prepared me for mm. the loss of a child. It is completely different. I think a part of you literally dies. Mm. Um, I don't know where I'm getting my strength from. I don't, I don't know. Like it's literally in the gut of my stomach because I feel that this is what she would want me to do. Um, because she was silenced for so long. When you have something that you're doing in, in someone's name, something yeah. so important, it can have a very powerful impact, not only on the people around you, but on you yourself, like a like an inertia that pushes you. Yes. Has that been how you feel, that she's pushing yes. you? Okay. Yes, I, I do. I feel her energy. Um, yeah. I Sometimes I feel like I literally know what she wants me to do. Um, mm. It's very strange. Um, she just was so silenced for so long and felt so, you know, dismissed mm. that I, I, I just want her to be remembered, not by the way that she died, um, but for who she was as a person, because she was a beautifully kind and bubbly and 
just beautiful person and her loss is immeasurable not only to my family but to her circle of friends mm. um and, and not only that people that just kind of knew of her but didn't really know her um because she brought a lot of joy to people um without even knowing it and um i just i just want her to be remembered for that and i want her to to her story to make a difference to somebody if it makes if it makes somebody else feel less alone or if it makes somebody stand up and say yes this is what i am going through and you know and and get people talking and get people aware of what is going on around them well then her death won't have been for nothing and her life will have stood for something have you had people reach out to you already talking oh, to loads. you about their stories yeah yeah loads and loads ever since i started um one life um back in i think it was october or november um i've had so many people um contact me not not just in ireland but worldwide mm-hmm. um about you know not only say racism but bullying experiences parents that are so anxious over their children and the bullying that is going on in society nowadays mm. amongst youths, mental health issues being suffered by youths at the moment, the lack of services to help. Mm. So I've spoken to so many people that have such a connection to me as story in some way and who are appreciative of the work that I'm doing and understand why I'm doing it. And hopefully we'll be able to make some sort of a change um, you know, I'm not saying we're going to change the world. I don't think that's going to be possible, but little small changes can make big differences. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. You're putting yourself out there and being so brave and sharing her story so far and wide. I mean, like I said, I, I saw her photo very, very soon after she'd passed and she'd stayed uh-huh. with me so much. And I think lots of other people felt the power of her presence and who she was. That's down to you guys doing such incredible work in her name. So thank you for doing that. And I do believe that her life and her story will change things here in Ireland. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ashlyn. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.